0: We want to talk about what is the future of the church. Uh, there's two sides to the uh, question. Uh, what is the future of the temporal church, the church on the earth, the church in its present pilgrimage, struggles, uh, hard times, re- in revival, not in revival? What do you do when the church isn't in a good season? In season, out of season. Never forget Paul Crandall saying, Pastor, uh, what do we do when there's not revival? He said, it sounds to me like you do the same things you're supposed to do in revival. Be faithful, pray, preach the word, stand for the truth. But there are seasons when many are saved, many are moved, many are changed, and there's many a church, you know, just barely hanging on, in decline, hard times, not good, uh, whatever the condition of the field, whatever. It, it's not the same everywhere. And so let, let's look at this question, what is the future of the church? First of all, by considering the temporal aspect of the church. And uh, turn with me to John 17. Uh, where Jesus in his high priestly prayer for the church before he's crucified, he anticipates leaving and uh, he begins a intercessory prayer for the church. In John 17 is a magnificent uh, chapter in the Bible. Uh, Dwight Pentecost studied this chapter every week of his life. He, he never got away from John 17, and his uh, great message. Listen to what he says. Uh, he's praying for us. I'll pick up at verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The song, he will hold you fast. He prayed for you 2,000 years ago. Keep not only these disciples, but he goes on to say, those who would believe. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them or protected them, And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. He was a devil, it says, from the beginning, was never born again. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Christ prays for his church and says, in essence, I'm going to be absent physically for nearly 2,000 years. And it may be longer if he chooses. But for nearly 2,000 years, God's church has followed him with an invisible Christ, a non-physical presence. We pray for his presence. We pray for him to be evident. But there's no physical Christ. I hear people say, I saw Christ. Uh, They may have in their mind, but to say a physical Christ that you can lay your hands on, we've not been given that privilege now for 2,000 years. But I pray for them. And what do you think we need the Jesus when you prayed for us. Listen to what he says. Keep your people, protect them, give them joy while in the world. It's amazing how many joyless Christians there are. Uh, It's amazing how life can sap you of the joy you had. You remember what David said? Renew unto me, restore to me the joy I once had before I fell into sin. Renew a right spirit in me. It's amazing how many cranky Christians there are. Uh, even to find a joyful Christian, uh, I was taken aback just recently as my wife was talking. And uh, you know, when you've been in the church for years, uh, most of our lives, she was saying, uh, "Maybe I got a different brand of new birth." And I said, "And how's that?" She said. I have always been happy since I put Jesus in my life. I've always had joy. I watched my folks divorce. I watched alcohol destroy our home. I watched my brother go into this and that. But she said, I always just thought knowing Jesus would make you happy. Uh, And and I was attracted because of the uh, smile and the radiance in her countenance as a young woman. Christ was real. Christ was wonderful. It, it was not a sob story. Being a Christian, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. Knowing Christ, knowing my sins are forgiven, knowing all is well with my soul—is that still true of you? Have you kept your joy, or has your outlook been? Oh, you, you're now negative. All of us fight with that. Are you negative? All oh, the times are bad. The church is bad. And you're messed up because your perspective, you've quit looking to Jesus, the author and finisher. He's still okay, isn't he? Some of you praying about that? I said, he's still okay. He's still Lord. He's still Lord. And here he's praying for it that we'd have joy in his absence, joy on the journey. So, He's praying for us way back there. You go to 2 Timothy, turn, break in your Bible if you would, turn to 2 Timothy, um, and look at what chapter 3 says when he's warning Timothy of the hardships of his day and into our day. And he said uh, in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on, all scripture is breathed out by God. All that's wonderful, but I want to read 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will live in a brand new house, have a brand new car, And will be loved by all the neighbors. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be. And uh, you're in the most spoiling land you could ever live in. You could be a Christian here and meet above ground. You could be a Christian here and prosper. But I tell you, when the bamboo curtain came up and communism took over China... They killed their pastors. They incarcerated them. The church went underground, and despite all the persecution, by the time the bamboo curtain was let down, there was 50 million believers in China, because you cannot snuff out the church by persecuting it. When you read the book of Acts, you see the history of what the church was like. They had heresies. They had persecutions. The pastors were killed. James was killed in Jerusalem, the home church. Peter was killed. There was martyrdom. By the time you read Revelation, you had red hot churches. You had cold churches. You had lukewarm churches. You had churches that were tolerating all kinds of sin, false doctrines taught by Balaam and the Nicolaitans. You had a mess on your hands. When you read the church epistles, you barely find, even in Ephesians, that great epistle, by the time he gets to chapter 4, he's telling them to stop lying to each other, stop bad speech, stop grieving the Spirit. In the Greek, it's a present imperative. Stop what you are doing. And this is less than 60 years after Pentecost. So the church has never seemed perfect altogether it is a um, fluctuating thing. I mean, attendance could be in, could be down. Finances could be up, could be down. Spirituality could be great, or it could be a carnal church, just strife, confusion, party, spirit. Oh, it can be nothing but a mess, the church. Because people like us attend it, and people like us ruin it. Or were the kinds of people God can maintain unity, can manifest his son by the fruit of the spirit and manifest his. It's, it's, it could be so many things. It, it's. And so what is the future of the church? What's the future of this church? It scares me when I read and when I go to Asia Minor, as I've been in Turkey before, and I've been, that none of the seven churches exist. Valley won't exist any longer than what the will of God wants. Uh, this is not where the kingdom is going to be set up. Uh, th- th- this church is no better than the hand of God on us. And if you don't like this church, you can ruin it. But beware if you ruin it. Because if you intentionally ruin it, First Corinthians 3.17, God will destroy you. Beware of those who destroy the temple of God. And he's talking plural, the, the temple, not your body. He's talking about the local church, or else God will destroy you. Scary thing. If you want to get in trouble, mess with what Christ died to buy. Amen. The church belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. doesn't belong to the elders. doesn't belong to any of you. It belongs to the one that died. Amen. And if you don't like this one, find another one. But you might ruin it too. Because we always take us. There's some people, whatever church they go to, there's confusion and they haven't got the clue, they're the one that brings it. Yes, you, what are we? Are we unity builders? Are we spirit-filled people? Is the joy of Jesus shown in us so that it whets the appetite of the teenager? Says, I want what they've got. Yes. I see Christ in them. Well this temporal journey, listen, we'll we'll just take this final reading. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And this is enough to depress any of us and say, who wants the pastor? Well, let's just tell the truth, okay? Let's just look at it. But understand this, that in the last days, all churches will boom and there will be no problems. Uh, there will come times of difficulty, and that, this is a tame, terrible times, perilous times. Uh, wh- who will it come to? In the last days of what? The last days of the church? The last days? The last days, by the way, started in Second Timothy. Started in First John. John said it's the last kind of hour. You mean it's been the last kind of hour for 1,900 years? Yep it's amazing 1900 years a bad hour because with god a day can be a thousand years <laughs> he sees time so different but watch what he says for people will be lovers of self now now why is this perilous some scholars say it's always been in the culture but now it will come into the church some take it that's what the peril is about, that what ordinarily men always love themselves. We're, we're, ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been fighting with God about who's going to be God. We said, I want to be God. I only vote for me. God said, I'm God. And said, oh, no, I'm God. I, I took the fruit. He said, well, you're sure dying fast, God. He said, well, I told you if you're God, you're going to die. And we've been dying. But we still insist on being God, don't we? I'm in charge. i am running my life. Nobody, nobody tell me what to do. I, I'm somebody. Oh, yes, you are. You're a mess. You're without Christ. You're without hope. You need a Savior. You need the true and living God. Now watch. Maybe this is church or just society, but it's bad any way you look at it. For people will be lovers of self. It's amazing how much money you can spend to look good. <laughs> and some of you it's not working. <laughs> it's going to take a glorified body to catch up with you. But you spend thousands to look because you love self. Who I am who that made for me. No, it wasn't was made for the retailer. <laughs> lovers of self. Honey, you don't know anyone like that, do you? Our offerings are down. Is it because of you? Are you a giver in this church? If you claim to belong to this church and don't give, you're robbing God. You're robbing God. No believer should be a tight-fisted person, right? I've had so many black pastor friends of mine. They said, we have to work on another job because the congregation won't support us. They told me that. They said, we work double jobs. We still preach. We still pastor. But they just won't pay us. Pitiful. It's wrong. It's wrong. Who's ever told them they shouldn't help support a local church and a local pastor? Do we need pastors? And I'm not whining. I'm treated I'm ashamed at how good I'm treated compared to what many finer men than me are are doing without. Thank God for them. If you're a bivocational pastor, pastor, we admire you. You're not a nobody. You're noble. You're determined to get the word out. No matter. He goes on. uh, They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, oh, ungrateful. How many people do you think will be thankful on Thanksgiving Day? Will it be about football or about things? Will it be about turkey or about Jesus? You know, just a day off of work, and I could drink Bud Light and cuss the team that's losing. (laughs) Had nothing to do with Thanksgiving. Huh? Let's, let's come on. Smell the coffee. In our days, smell the weed. <laughs> it's there, baby. It's there. Uh, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. You can never end a fuss because they can't be appeased. Slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Mm-mm. I'll tell you, every time I go get my hair cut or something, they've always got People Magazine. It is a nausea plus time <laughs> to see all these conceited, good looking, terrible people. Don't, don't call any of them for me. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Aren't we the most entertained people that has ever lived in America? People don't come to church on Sunday night mainly because we're all being entertained. I mean, we've got basketball, we've got football, we've got talk. Why go to church? And then when you get to church, that is rather boring. There was no special effects, it was just the pastor. Well, that's an effect, all right. Uh, you can't compete. Young people, hey, I've been on video games all week. I've been watching virtual reality, this and that. Then you come to church and, man, this isn't as fun as shooting somebody. You know, playing a video game. No. Because, see, here we're in a season, and as I get ready to tell you about the future of the church, it gets better. You ought to be encouraged by the time we get away from this temporal scene. Is that... uh, C.S. Lewis, I I thought it was 1800, but it might be wrong. I don't. I'm I'm afraid to quote the date when he said English literature switched from facts to fiction. That he said English literature used to always be true history, true facts, biography, wars, uh, the history, and then there was a point in literature where it switched to fiction. And no longer did it have to be true to capture the mind. Just can you tell a story? Can you, did this happen? Let me give you a good example. Hallmark Christmas movies. If I see one more, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've learned it just about. Whoever saw any city as pretty as these cities? When every player is good-looking without the need of dental work. I I mean, it is absurd. I've never seen any place that lovely in all my life. And it's just like, here comes another woman. Man, she's stunning. I'm getting over being thinking the other one's stunning. Here's another. Oh, this is my daughter. Oh, this is my granddaughter just recorded a new album that sold a million. You know, it's just ordinary people. (laughs) I said, Carolyn, get out of fantasy land. That doesn't represent anything we know. I've never seen any of that. That was created in the mind of a Hallmark guy that's got you captivated, salivating at Christmas. If I could only move to Hartland. <laughs> you live in Rodeo, honey. You better get over it. <laughs> but it, it becomes reality. My Lord. Reality. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Here's, well, Santa Claus. Wait, wait. Did you know that your kids may think Santa's more real than Jesus? Because we don't have any Hollywood selling Jesus like that. Jesus really did come. Jesus really was born at Bethlehem. Jesus really is the Son of God. But I grew up on uh, illusion. I grew up on virtual reality. Uh, We actually have people here that go to Disneyland, pray for their soul. (laughs) You know, but everything there is fantasy. It came out of Walt Disney's mind. I mean, a, a brilliant mind that could sell Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer better than we do the gospel. Amen. Yes, sir. And kids, oh, boy, if I take Rudolph away from you said, you're ruining my kids' Christmas. Oh, I know, without Rudolph, it just, you know, mine are over that. Just give me the gift. Why? How much do you believe fantasy, you know? Uh, I know Spider-Man exists. I went to the movie and saw it. Don't tell me he doesn't exist. What is it? And so we're in an era of, now we're going to start talking about the future of the church and talking about heaven, and guess what? There are people uh, that they don't think heaven's real. they, they labor under the influence of Plato, and he had a disciple named Philo, who said that nothing can be physical in the future in heaven. It's all ethereal, it's all allegory, it's all made up, because we're just going to be in spiritual bodies. Did you know we eat in the future, that we rule in the future, that there will be people in the future, there will be nations in the eternal city, there will be life, there will it's not ethereal. It's not made up. We're going to look at it. It's real. Very, when's the last time you ha- heard a sermon on heaven? Let's say, let me ask you, uh, let's say six months. How many of you say it's been over six months? Okay, yeah, me, me too. I, I can't think of the last one I've heard. Why? We don't believe it exists. We've bought to fiction and heaven, Oh, that's all pie in the sky. That's all, oh, man, you know, they get into that. And you don't even, we don't sing about it. We used to sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Anybody ever sing that song? Yeah. Uh, what a day that will be. What day? When the 49ers win. <laughs> what, what day are we talking about? Why don't you talk about heaven? You. Colossus 3 once had set your way of thinking on things above heaven that you might put to death the deeds of the body and start living like you're going to heaven. But if you don't think it exists, and it does not exist in most church life, we talk about I mean, in our lobby, it ought to be illegal to talk about a team. I don't want to hear about your team. I'm going to throw up. I come down here to hear about the real winner, Christ, who died to make us winners. Talk about it once you're dismissed and go home. That's fine. I watched the Warriors get beat last night. Don't bring it up. I know it be the papers. But do are we heavily minded you not can't be heavily minded about something you're not sure that exists so I want to take you on a journey eight things that happened to your future let's imagine this you i, I use the same illness illustri- I, I said let's say you're thirty years old and you you've been out there you've done your sinning you've done this, you've done that, and boy, you've lived life, maybe tragedies come pain, some praying mama some witness on the Anyway, God surrounds you, and, and you start being convicted and dealt with by the Spirit of God that if you should die, that mama you buried, you know you wouldn't see her because it, hell is still lurking there in your mind, maybe even heaven. And so when you come under conviction, and you actually get to be a born-again believer, you actually put faith in Christ alone through faith alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone, and you sure enough are saved. We've got so many not sure in the church saved. I think we maybe have 25% of our membership probably not saved. I'm just sure. There's no proof they're saved. They just got into membership. They can lie in the interviews or any other place. I don't know if you're saved, but just think if you accepted Christ. Let's say if you came here today and you know you're not saved, you know you're not going to heaven, you know your sins are too many, God could not let you in. But by some miracle of grace, and it is a miracle, God quickened your heart, took away your blindness, and all of a sudden you want Christ, that Christ alone can save me. Christ alone will receive me, and you become born again. Does that ever happen? Yes. Three of you, it's happened too. <laughs> Who's been born again in this place? Yes. Well, now I'm going to tell you eight things that are in your future. Eight things in your future, no matter what we' go through in the temporal church. Turn to John 14. John 14. There'll be some verses up here for you. Others you'll have to crack a Bible. 14.1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why did he say that? He had just told them, I'm going away upper room, I'm going away. And he could see, here's Peter. I mean, they don't want him to go away. I mean, this is heartbreaking news. He's trained 12, one's proved to be a devil, has gone out at this very time and is selling him. So he's got 11 men in this room. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. I know you're upset. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and it's really that, not mansions. It's really rooms, dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place that's singular. Why a place? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The place that he's prepared for us is a place Jesus will be, and I'm preparing it because you're going to dwell in a place with me forever. First promise, he says, I promise you that I will return for you. I haven't abandoned you. Matter of fact, I'll give you the spirit to prove that you're not orphans. He will be the other comforter, strengthen you. But I will come back for you. I will not forget you. Now, the issue is how do I get to the place? How can I know I'm going to the place? Verse 6, he said, I'm the way to the place. I'm the truth that gets you to the place. I am the life that gets you to the place. Now, what a promise. I will not forget you. I will come again. He didn't give any charts. He didn't give any dates. And it's been 2,000 years. Will he come again? He said he would. He hasn't showed up yet. But he left this promise. Guess what? Out of these 11 men... Only John, the writer of this gospel, is the only one that's not killed and martyred. All 11 other men are killed. Thomas was uh, clubbed to death in India. James is beheaded in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. On and on. They all met martyr's death. So for Christ to keep his word to them, he'll have to some way show up and so we will keep with the narrative of scripture that he hasn't forgotten. But he said, I will come and I will bring you to a place. I just read something recently that man's greatest problem is loneliness. That he's an exile in the world. And the reason is man has never been at home since the Garden of Eden. He's been an exile He's a stranger. He's a wanderer. That's why you get blue, melancholy. That's why you can be in the middle of a crowd and feel lonely. Why? You're not at home. Because this world is not our home. We're aliens. We're strangers. Uh, We do sing, this world's not my home. It's not. Because ever since the exile from the garden, being kicked out and evicted by our sin, And God said, I will not share paradise with those who rebel against me. We've been evicted, and we've been homeless. We've been aliens. We've been migrants. And there's no place like home. There's no home. And he says to these men, I am going to prepare a place that will be a permanent home that you'll never be kicked out of. You'll never move again. There'll be no sickness, no sorrows i've taken a place where you'll be with me forever i will come for you yes, what a what a sure sure promise sure promise <coughs> have you ever been rescued have you ever had a human being rescue you or do something for you when you were so homesick so so struggling. I never thought of it till today, but I thought of my sister Hazel, when my mother uh, took me and my sister Ruth, and we visited, my sister joined up with another gal, and they pastored a, uh, what you'd call a mountain or a hill church in the hills of Oklahoma, Rose Hill, Oklahoma. It was full of women and children and the men sat on the porch, the church porch, and spit tobacco. They didn't go in, only women and children. They were rowdies. They, they just had no, no place for God. But these two gals worked there. Hazel was pianist. Uh, the gal played guitar, pretty good Bible teacher. And they pastored this thing, took care of them. Hazel taught music to have any spending money. They ran a food bill at this little store, right there, country store. Uh, my sister must have put on 80 to 100 pounds. She just de- bloomed overnight, eating all this cheap food, barely surviving, potato chips, Pepsi's, and whatever girls could do with $40 a week. Her health started going. And uh, she was in desperate ways, but she put on a good front. I remember when my mother was, we left. She driving a 52 Merck. And uh, my sister Ruth and I were playing in the back seat. Tells you how young we were. We were playing everything, and my mother up front was driving the car, praying, crying. And uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Out of nowhere, it seemed like, she does a U-turn on this country road, dust going up everywhere, just a two-lane road. And all of a sudden, Ruth and I don't know what's going on. She zips back, pulls up in the parking lot of this little store and the church right there. And my mother gets out of that car, and she doesn't get to the lawn until my sister bolts out on the front porch, runs to my mother. They stand there and weep for about ten minutes. And my mother simply says, You're going with me. You're going with me. My sister Hazel said in the car, I was praying, Mama, God, if you could rescue me, send mama back. Send mama back. You're Jesus saying, I won't forget you. I'll rescue my church in many ways. Even in their temporal journey, I'll rescue. I'll rescue. I will hold you fast, even in a wicked world. I'll hold you fast in a world that the devil will try to kill you. But see, the coming of Jesus was he made a trip to rescue you and to bring you home. We haven't landed there yet, but we're on our way. We're on our way. We will be there shortly. I get homesick for heaven. I've got a longing to go. Then, how do we get there? Second thing, he's going to come back to rapture or harpazoas. Some don't like rapture because they say it's not in the Bible. Okay, I'll take the Greek word, harpazo. Go to 1 Thessalonians. So, first of all, I got the promise that Jesus is coming. I don't know when, but he's coming. How many of you knew that before you were saved? I knew it. I was scared to death because I wasn't wanting to see him. How about you? Did you ever have a time you knew he was coming, but you knew you weren't ready? Anybody ever grow up that way? I did. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. You all know it. It's our favorite funeral. It's the first funeral sermon in the Bible. If you think you want to do a funeral, uh, here's your outline. Look at this 13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. Well, they were. That's why you wrote. See, he he didn't just, you don't know about those who are asleep. And asleep is a euphemism in the Greek uh, and New Testament for the death of a believer. If you die in Jesus, it's called a sleep. He never says that of the unsaved or the wicked. This is a euphemism that when the believer dies, the body goes to sleep, but not the soul. Now, there are different groups that teach the soul goes to sleep. You go unconscious until the resurrection. No, it's the body that sleeps, not the soul. We don't believe in soul sleep nor does the Bible teach it. So we don't want you you to worry about those brothers and sisters that have died already. We don't want you to grieve like others who have no hope. Uh, How many of you have done any funerals? Any of you ever? do? Okay. What's the difference between an unbeliever's funeral and a believer's? But the best we can do at an unbeliever's funeral is read a Helen Steiner Rice poem <laughs> and tell maybe a few nice lies. Try to make them sound better than they were. Go on, on, and on. What do you do with a believer? You just say, uh, I like to read Thessalonians. And please don't talk about how good the guy is in the coffin. The funeral's not about them. For Christian the funeral isn't about me, is it? I thought it was about someone that could do something with a dead man. Oh, you're not with me. Wake up. Wake up. What's the funeral about? We're gonna eulogize and go on wait, wait, I've heard I've heard you do it ten times. Why don't we just say he was a nice daddy and keep going? What if he wasn't a nice dad? You know what? I'm here to pay tribute to a lousy father. Well, no, you don't want to say that. You want to just say, if you died in Christ, we've got hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, ah, this is what changes it. Even so, through Jesus, through him as the agent, God will bring with him Those who have fallen asleep, he's going to bring with him. How's he going to do this? That is because when you die as a believer, your soul spirit goes to be with Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, the dead in Christ will come back with Christ, their body still in the ground. And he said, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare unto you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's interesting. This is a, this is a profound truth never taught in the Old Testament that I know of. Yes, that there will be people alive on the earth that are believers that have never died. That when Christ comes back to raise the dead in Christ, they will be alive And they're watching what happens to us. Watch what he does. We declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed. We will not go up before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. This will not be a weak voice, uh, man be pamby, Savior. This will be a mighty commanding voice and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet, sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So they're coming up. Then we who are alive, okay, so here comes your brother or sister. They've been raised up. Now I'm standing here alive. Notice what he says. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be harpazo, Raptured, taken by force together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Uh, so, hey, don't worry about Brother Jones that died. I'm going to raise him from the dead, and don't worry about you. By the time I get him out of the ground, I'm going to change you in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and together, (laughs) you'll go up. It's just like you're waiting for the elevator to get him up to your level, translate you, and you go up together. Now, I never had that in my future until Jesus became my Savior. That is not the future of everybody. That's the future of God's people who are in Christ. You got that coming? It's coming. (laughs) Praise be to His name. Oh, God! i yeah. I gotta hurry hurry up, but I don't want to hurry up. I'm gonna stop. We're gonna come back next week to see the six other things you get. Uh, I did the same thing the first service. But Matt did a series last week. He just didn't finish it. Uh, now, just think, just think. Uh, what do we have to offer people right now? Would, will you invite anybody to come to church during this lonely, lonely, depressing season? Had a precious grandmother tell me today, my granddaughter keeps wanting to kill herself. Keeps, keeps cutting her wrist so far she hasn't succeeded I said, well, how old is he? Twelve. Did you know how much the bars would do a great business during the season? Because when you you don't have any hope, maybe your marriage has ended. Maybe your mama's died. Maybe you're going through sorrow. Why don't you come to Jesus? He, he, He comforts people. He's a marvelous comforter. Jack Daniels can't get you through. No, no. It might help you make it through one night, but you're going to wake up, and the sorrow is going to still be there. You need a Savior. We all do. And in Jesus, you'll find a home. You'll find a home. You can come back home. Come back home. I I can't tell you how emotional I feel when I see uh, a little short mother grabbing this eldest daughter of hers. I can't let you stay sick anymore. I can't let you stay broke anymore. I can't see you being spit and wasted in these hills with this little congregation. You're, you're starving, honey. You need to go to the doctor. Your health is gone. You become a wreck in just a year of nearly starving. But your mama wants to take you home. Let me tell you, sin has made a wreck out of all of us. Sin ruins his, ruins health ruins relationships, it stripped us of heaven. But Jesus said, since you can't get to heaven, I'll bring heaven to you. If you'll accept me, God will throw in heaven for free. Accept Jesus and he'll throw in heaven. What you want is not heaven, it's Jesus. When you get Jesus, God throws in all the rest. You'll get that free. Stand. You might be here today, and you're searching for a home. You're searching for something to fill the void in your heart. We all did. We all have been there. Amen. Melancholy, depression, homesickness, loneliness, it's a part of the human condition. It's not just you. We've all got a streak in us called, I'm homesick. I'm I'm in exile. It won't be finished until we're in the place where he is. He will come back. He is. You know what? It's like in heaven, the father and the son have set the wedding date. They just haven't told the bride. But we're going to a wedding. It's going to be, matter of fact, it'll take at least a 1,000 years just to enjoy the wedding bash. I'd be ready for it. If you never have put faith in Christ, what's keeping you out? The door to hell has often been said to be locked on the inside. He's knocking. Why don't you unlock the door? Why don't you say, Jesus, I need a Savior. He said, I'm glad you finally admitted it. I'm here. Father, if there's anyone here today that is in a melancholic uh, exile mode and mood. I would that they would know that it's the human condition. They're not odd. They're not weird. It's the human condition. And we try a thousand substitutes to fill that void and try to take it away. But only Jesus can fill an empty heart. Only Je- You said, I came that they may have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Lord Jesus, I found a home in you. I've not moved to the new location, but I know it's waiting. Yeah. And I understand it's already paid for. There'll be no payments. You said we won't need PGE there because the lamb is the light. So I'm looking for the day when canes won't be used, Medicare won't use, and uh, chemo won't be needed because you're going to prepare us for an eternal stay in the place. So you must change us forever. It's coming. It's coming. No matter what happens to us on this earth, if a thousand storms come, a thousand fires, if another Roman empire rises up to crush us under a teal, we will ultimately be with you and nothing can stop it. Neither death, nor life, nor anything can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I wish everybody that's happy in Jesus would say amen. 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 God bless you. Smile at those you stand by as you go out. They'll think you're saved. Just smile.